All I want is to get from where I am to where I want to be. It's never easy. It seems like there's always an obstacle or a detour or a dead end. God, just show me where to go. That's what I want. everybody. Welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or you're watching this message online. We are in the final week of a series that we've been in for the last five weeks called That's What I Want. And uh, just, just hold on for one second. There's one thing I got to do real quick here. Just got to <laughs> capture this guy just like that. There we go. I'll probably train him later. For some of you this week, this is what you want, right? This is all that you want. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, yesterday I was with my kids at like a kid place, and all of a sudden I see this teenager walking by with his phone, going like this, and I'm like, what is he doing? Why is he even here? I don't get, this is a kid place. And then a little bit later, I saw these two teenage girls walking along with their phones, and they're all excited, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? And then I realized they're playing that Pokemon Go game that everybody's talking about. And if you don't know what it is, it has over 30 million users. So I know some of you are playing this game this week, and this is what you want. Others of you are like, no, that's not what I want at all. Uh, and so for the last five weeks, we've been talking about what are these certain things that people all want? And we said, well, they want relationships that flourish. Everybody wants that. And, and we said that everybody wants to do something significant with their life. Today's message is one that unfortunately we don't think very much about. But I personally think it's the most important. Today's message is titled, To Finish Well. Doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Several years ago, I heard a story at a conference that I thought, there's no way that could be true. And so when I got home, I looked it up on the internet. Because if you ever want to know if something's true or not, you just go on the internet, right? That's just kind of how that works. And so I looked it up, and it actually is a true story. It was about a guy named Dean Carnassus, who on his 30th birthday stumbled home from a bar next door to his house. And he sat down on his front porch, and he's like, oh, look at me. I'm 30 years old, I'm working an 8 to 5 job, I'm drunk on my front porch, and he starts to feel like his life is worthless and he needs to make some changes. So he takes off all of his clothes except his underwear, okay, just go with me for a moment on this, puts on his running shoes and decides he's going to go for a run. That's logical, right? I mean, that's what we all would have done in that situation. Now, Carnassus, he had run at the beginning of high school, but he had not run for about 15 years. So it's one o'clock in the morning when he takes off and he runs until he is completely exhausted. He calls his wife to come and pick him up on the cell phone and when she gets there, she looks at him and she goes, do you realize you just ran 30 miles? Carnassus collapses and falls asleep in the car but when he wakes up, he thinks, I think I might have a gift. And so he takes up running. He is now known as the ultra marathon man. Here's a picture of Dean Carnassus. This guy won an SB in 2007 as the best outdoor athlete when he ran 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 different states. 
At the end of the last one, which was in New York, he thinks, you know, I, I still feel pretty good. I'm just going to run home. He lives in San Francisco. <laughs> Another time, there was a 200-mile, 12-person relay race. And Carnassus goes, you know, I, I don't really need a team. I'll just run that by myself. He holds the world record for most consecutive miles at 350 without stopping. He had to go three days without sleep in order to accomplish that. In fact, in order to get some food, he will call a pizza place while he's running from his cell phone, but he'll tell them, don't cut the pizza. So then he'll meet the pizza guy on the corner, pay for it, and while he's running, he will munch on a large pizza. I mean, can you imagine? Now, we hear stories like that, and we think, oh, that is just incredible. But what if I told you that I ran six marathons in six days? You'd be pretty impressed, right? But then what if I told you I only started six marathons in six days? Ran about a quarter of a mile each time. <laughs> Not as impressed, are you? See, my point is, Dean Carnassus is known as the ultra-marathon man, not because he started 50 marathons in 50 days. He's known as the ultra-marathon man because he finished 50 marathons in 50 days. Doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And that applies to many other areas of life. Imagine if your builder dug out the foundation, put up some walls, and six months later there was no roof. If that builder declared themselves finished, you would have a lawsuit on your hands. Or what about in the world of sports? I mean, I'm sure the Golden State Warriors were excited to win their first 24 games this past season, but it didn't matter all that much when they lost their last game. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. But if that's true, then why do so many of us give more attention to our starts than we do to our finishes? In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I did a Google search on finish marriage well. The number one resource that popped up was 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. Well, that's telling. Every romance movie that I could think of, except for maybe The Notebook, is about the dating years or the first part of marriage. Very few movies ever about how to finish marriage well. Or what about our faith in Christ? When I was a brand new Christian, one of the best pieces of advice that I got was the Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And the implication for that was clear. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Tucked away in Joshua chapter 14 is a story of one of my favorite men in the Bible. His name is Caleb. And when Caleb is 40 years old, God is leading the Israelites out of slavery and they're about to enter into the promised land. This was the land that God promised them when he saved them out of Egypt. And so Moses is the leader of the Israelites and he sends Caleb a guy named Joshua and several other men to spy on the people living in this land. And when the spies come back, they're like, oh, the people living there are giants. There's no way we're going to be able to defeat them, except for Caleb and Joshua. Caleb knew that giants were no big deal to God. God eats giants for breakfast. And so he's like, hey, God promised us this land. We've got to go. Moses, recognizing Caleb's faith, says, you know, when we get into the promised land, I'm going to give you the hill country. But nobody else will listen to Caleb. And so 40 years, they wander around the wilderness before they finally enter into the promised land. Five years after that, and Caleb is now 85 years old. You think he would be playing golf on Jerusalem's national golf course. 
You think he'd be collecting shells by the Dead Sea, you know, doing something in his retirement years. Instead, he's 85 years old, and look at what he goes and says to Joshua. He says, I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So I'm asking you, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. Don't you love this guy? He's 85 years old, and he's like, I'm as strong as I was 40 years ago. And he's not just talking about physical strength. I mean, he's not just talking about kicking some 30-year-old's butt. He's talking about spiritual strength. Caleb is still trusting in the promises of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to limp across the finish line. I want to hit the tape at full speed. I want to still be taking new ground for God. I want to finish well. But here's what we don't realize. It starts today. If you're here right now and you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you might be thinking, well, why do I need to think about finishing well? I mean, I got a lot of time to finish well. If you think that way, my guess is you won't finish well. This past August, I had some time to kind of evaluate my life. And by the way, I hope you do this from time to time. You just take inventory of how things are going. And as I thought about my life, I had this picture that I had never thought about before. It was me on my deathbed. I started to think about the finish line and what will be important to me in that moment. And I don't know when that finish line is going to come. I mean, in the last month, my kids have laughed at me because my teeth are turning yellow and they have mocked me and called me an old man for not wanting to go tubing with them. So I think the finish line is coming sooner than I thought it was. But my point is, I started thinking, what's going to be important to me then as I look back on my life instead of looking forward? And that's the question I want to ask you today. When you get to the end, when you get to the finish line, what do you think will be important to you in that moment? What do you hope to have accomplished in your life? As a pastor, I have sat on the edge of a fair number of deathbeds. And I can just tell you that I've never had somebody say, you know, go down to the bank, close out my account, and bring all the money here into the room. Because I just want it to surround me as I expire. I've never had somebody say, go get my BMW, wash it up real nice, wax it up, park it outside the window, because I want to look at it before I meet my maker. I've never had somebody say, go get the kids' trophies, all the sports trophies and their state tournament trophy and their college scholarship offer and and bring that into the room because I want to hold that as I pass into eternity. Those are not the kinds of things that people find important in that moment. In my own life, I began to write down what is going to be important to me at the end and the first thing I wrote was faith. I want to be like Caleb. I want to be full of faith. I don't want to be scared to die. I want to be excited to see Jesus face to face and that's going to take a fair amount of faith. I wrote down that my kids' names would be written in the book of life. I want to see my kids in heaven. I want to spend eternity with them. I wrote down that I would be a tender, loving, gentle husband to my wife, Sarah. I want to finish well with her. I want to hold wrinkly hands and stare at our yellow teeth with each other. (laughs) Probably won't have teeth. You know, I'm going to be one of those kind of deals, but that's fine too. But I want to finish well. I wrote down that I want to lead some people to faith in Christ. I think when I get to the end of my life, that's going to feel really important to me. I had some other things, but let me ask you, what would you write down? When you get to that moment where you're at the finish line, what do you think is going to be the most important to you? 
In fact, in our time left, let me give you three ways that you can hit the tape running. Three ways that you can finish well in your life. And if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you'd be foolish to not start applying these to your life today. Because your 20s affect your 30s, your 30s affect your 40s, and so on. So first way to finish well is this. Find some people to cheer you on. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I think, give us a great template for how we should finish well. So I'm going to walk you through these verses in my three points. But here's verse 1. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. There's so, many, so much to point out in this verse. But first of all, God has set a race before you. Do you know what that race is? Too many people are on their own race. It's the race to get married, graduate, make money, get a cab, and retire early. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But God has set a greater race before you. Do you know what that is? And then second, this race is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Because he says, you have to do it with endurance. But then I want you to notice this first word, therefore. When I was in seminary, it was kind of a joke around seminary that whenever you would see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask what it's there for. So you can tell seminary is a pretty fun place to be if you're looking for some fun on a Friday night, go to seminary. But the question is, when he says therefore, what's he talking about? Well, in the previous chapter in Hebrews 11, it talks about great men and women of faith. It talks about men like, like Abraham who left his homeland and went to a place that he had never been before only because he heard God say go. It talks about a man named Noah who started building an ark even though it wasn't even raining yet. It talks about a woman named Rahab who didn't die with the people in her city because she feared God. And it says that all those people actually had only had one thing in common. Here's what it says. It says, all these people we have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith. God was pleased with their life because of their faith. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to men and women of faith, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In other words, each of us needs to be surrounded by some men and women of faith who will cheer us on in life. When my wife and I were first married, she really wanted me to run with her. But I'm like a dog. I mean, if there's a ball to chase, I'll run after that. Like if there's a baseball or basketball rolling away, I'll chase that. But I'm not just going to run for no reason. And so, but I knew this was important to my wife. And so one year for her birthday, I signed us up for the Twin Cities Marathon 10-mile run. Training was brutal. On the treadmill at home, I would just count down the time until it would be done. Training outside wasn't much better. So when I got to the day of the race, my expectations were pretty low. To my surprise, I loved it. The difference? It was the people. Thousands of people lined up the streets to cheer us on. Some people had cowbells. There was a guy pounding on drums. Right around the eight-mile mark, I started to get really tired. And this complete stranger, he looks at me and he goes, Keep going. You're doing great. I had all I could do to refrain from yelling back, I love you, man. 
Now here's my question for you. Would you describe your life as a training run alone or as a race filled with people lining the streets to cheer you on? The author of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so many great men and women of faith, let me ask you, who are the people surrounding you right now? Are they faith-filled or are they only fun-filled? Every one of us needs to be surrounded by some people who will pick us up in our life. My father-in-law struggled with an alcohol addiction for years. And the lie that he believed during that time was this, I need to sober up and then I can come to church. I need to get my life right and then maybe God will accept me. And that lie kept him isolated from the people who could help him the most. And maybe you're here today or you're watching this message online and that's you. You think, I gotta get sober before I can come to church. I've got to clean my life up and and make myself acceptable and and then maybe God could approve of me. The truth that my father-in-law discovered is a truth that has set more men and women free than almost any other truth. And the truth that he discovered was this. I don't need to clean up my life first. I need to come to Christ first. And Christ will clean up my life after that. And Christ has My father-in-law has been sober for the last three and a half years, and he helps lead one of the addiction recovery ministries at one of our campuses. And if you were to ask him, what is the most important key to getting sober, what he would say is this. He would say it was other Christians. It was the church. It was the body of Christ. It was coming to church and hearing God's word. It was listening to sermons on the radio. It was other Christians who would hold me accountable and who would encourage me when I was down. And my father-in-law is finishing well. He's finishing very, very well. Maybe you're here today and you didn't get off to a great start in your life. And I don't have to give you a whole bunch of examples. Like You just know. I don't have to say, well, maybe you didn't get off to a good start if. You just know it. You messed up your teen years. You messed up your 20s. There were some mistakes or decisions that you made that really set you back. You did not get off to a good start. Here's what I want you to hear today. You can finish well. You can finish very, very well, but you can't isolate yourself. Some of us are so isolated from the people who could help us the most. You've got to find some other people who can cheer you on in your faith, which leads to the second way that you finish well. It's this. Throw off your sin. Look what Hebrews says in the next verse. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you want to finish well, there are some things that you are going to have to throw off. A couple of months ago, my wife and I went to a coffee shop down in northeast Minneapolis called Spy House. And I work with a lot of young, trendy hipsters on staff here at Eaglebrook. And so I kept hearing them talk about this coffee house called Spy House. Now, of course, now that I've gone, they've all moved on to a different coffee house, right? (laughs) It's like when your parents join Facebook and you're going, I'm going to be on Instagram. And then your parents are like, what's this Instagram thing? And you're like, I'm on Snapchat now. Like, that's my relationship with these staff members. So they're at a different coffee house. I don't know what it is. I'll probably go in like two years when it's not cool anymore and I'll let you know all about it. But here's the deal. We go to this coffee shop and Sarah and I are like the oldest people there. 
and nobody is talking to each other. I mean, I noticed two girls actually talking and listening, but otherwise everybody was staring at a screen, phone, tablet, laptop. I had something sitting next to me that must have looked foreign to some of them. It was a book with pages, you know, that you flip to, to read the next one. And in fact, as Sarah and I were talking, this 28-year-old girl with kind of a funky plaid hat, she leaned over and she said, excuse me, is that a Christian book? The title of the book was Struggles by Pastor Craig Rochelle, and she was intrigued by the title. I said, yeah, are, are you a Christian? She said that she was, and we talked for a little bit, and as the conversation was wrapping up, I said, you know, you, you should go get this book. And she said, you know, I think I should. It would be really good for a struggling Christian like me. Now, I used to just let things like that pass. I think, you know, I'm not going to pry. It's kind of awkward. But I've been praying that God would make me a little bit more bold. And so very politely, I said, you know, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but what are you struggling with? And right away, her eyes started to flutter, and they kind of welled up. And she said, you know, my favorite Bible verse has always been Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. She says, these days I don't taste. I don't see. It's like God is so distant and I don't experience his love in my life. She said, I think it's because of my sin. And she didn't go into details, but you could tell she was partying and maybe hooking up with guys and things like that. And then she made this statement. She said, you know, I know I need to give up my sin, but I don't want to. And I thought, oh, I can relate I'm 10 years older and I'm a pastor, but there are times and have been times in my life where I go, you know what, I just don't want to give up that sin. My wife spoke in and she said to her, you know, it's not that God wants you to miss out on something. God wants the very best for your life. And isn't that it? It's a fear of missing out. So many people have this fear of missing out that it has its own abbreviation now. FOMO, fear of missing out. So I'm in my late 20s, and I'm going to party and hook up with guys because FOMO. I mean, people tell me you're only young once. You got to do that now, and I don't want to miss out on that. Or I wake up in the morning, and I don't read my Bible. I just jump into my work for the day because FOMO. I don't want to miss out on time I could be getting things done or free time for myself. Every single one of us has a fear of missing out on something. But what if we had this fear? What if each of us woke up in the morning and said, God, I want to taste. I want to see. I want to experience your love in my life today. And I'm fearful of anything that will get in the way of that. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What are the things that are hindering your faith right now? Throw them off. What are the sins that you become entangled with? You gotta throw them off. Sin is like a leg cramp that won't go away. It is the number one thing that prevents people from finishing well. There are some of us here today, and God is speaking to you right now, and he is saying, you got to throw off that sin. You have gotta repent of that sin. Repentance just means go the opposite direction. If drunkenness is your sin, go home, throw out all your alcohol and make a commitment that you're not going to go to a bar and then call your best Christian friend and tell them about that commitment and say, hold me accountable to this because I got to throw some things off if I'm going to finish well. Here's what God does if you do that, by the way. He moves the starting line. God says, you know, you think the starting line was back here, but I'm actually going to move it up to here and I'm going to give you a fresh 
start. I gave that book to that girl, by the way, and I'm praying that God would use it in her life. The third way that we can finish well is this. You've got to know the target, and you've got to have a strategy to get there. When you get to the end of your life, do you know what's going to be important to you? Do you know the target? And do you have a strategy to get there? I was talking to my fourth grade son, Micah, recently about one of his classmates. And Micah said this with all fourth grade innocence, but he goes, Dad, so-and-so's having a growth spurt. I said, really? I, I didn't notice he looked any taller at all. He goes, no, his height hasn't really caught up yet. He's not having a growth spurt this way. He's having a growth spurt this way. I thought, oh, I never knew you could call it that. Right, like every 50-year-old guy should turn to his wife tonight and be like, I'm having a growth spurt, all right? I had one when I was 16 that went that way. I'm having another one that's going this way, all right? But isn't that true? I mean, you, you don't just wake up in the morning with 30 extra pounds. There's a gravitational pull as you age. And that gravitational pull is called slower metabolism, having children, maple glazed bacon donuts from Hans Bakery, right? There's just... There's a gravitational pull. And so weight loss experts will tell us that if you want to lose weight, you have to have a target. So if you're 200 pounds and you want to lose 10, 190 is your target. But just knowing that isn't enough. You've got to have a strategy to get there. And that same principle applies to your spiritual life. The Bible says that there is a gravitational pull towards sin. If left to ourselves, we will drift from God. We will drift from our marriage. We will drift away from our kids. We'll drift towards our phones and away from meaningful time with them. It's just how it is. We'll drift. That's why you've got to know the target and have a strategy to get there. What's the target? Well, let's look again at our verse in Hebrews. It says this, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we run with endurance? The next verse, he says this, We do this by keeping our eyes Fixed on Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the target. When you get to the end of your life, if you go, you know what, I love Jesus more than ever before. I trust him and have faith in him more than ever before. You are going to be in a great place. He says, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends, start to finish. Let me ask you, what are your eyes fixed on these days? That's the kind of question that when I first became a Christian, I would have laughed. Because I would have thought, well, what do you, my eyes are fixed on you. I'm, that's what I'm looking at right now. But then I remember reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and having it rattle my thinking cage just a little bit. Look at what Paul writes in this verse. He says, though our bodies are wasting away, our spirits are being renewed every day. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now and there are a lot of us who have trouble in our life that we can see. He says, we don't look at that. We look forward to what we have not yet seen. Interesting that he's looking at something that he hasn't yet seen. He says, for the trouble that we see will soon be over. But the joys to come will last forever. Friends, every one of us has a body that's wasting away. I don't care how young you are. You are closer to death today than you have ever been in your life. Your body is wasting away. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then your spirit is being renewed. And so we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now in our life. Instead, we look at the things that we can't see. 
because those are the things that will bring a glory that far outweighs and a joy that far outweighs the troubles that we can see. When you get to the end of your life, when you start looking at the finish line, you got to look at the things that you can't see, the things that will be important at the end, things like leading other people to Christ, things like relationships with people that you love, things like your own soul and your faith in Christ. you got to fix your eyes on the finish line. I want to introduce you to a girl named Kayla. When Kayla was a sophomore in high school in North Carolina, she had dreams of being an all-state soccer player. But one day she fell during a soccer game. And when she got home that night, her feet were numb. And the numbness and the tingling began to spread up her legs. And so finally her parents brought her in, and after multiple doctor visits, and after extensive testing, they got the phone call. Kayla has MS. Her mom felt like she couldn't breathe. Kayla went into her room and shut the door. She was angry. She was angry at God. She's angry at life. Maybe that's where some of you find yourselves today, wondering, what did I do to deserve this? And nothing comes to mind. Soccer was out of the question for Kayla, but there was another opportunity. Her story was so amazing, ESPN picked it up. Take a look at the side screens. There are some of us here today who you fell early in the race. You fell morally, you fell spiritually, you fell relationally. And it seems like everybody else is further ahead. And I think what God wants to say to you today is get back up. Get back up. You can finish well. There's still time. You have to finish. There's still time with your kids. You can finish well with them. There's still time in your marriage. You can finish well. There's still time in your life. But you got to get back up. And you got to start running again. And there's others of us here today who came to church and life is hard. And there's a lot of trouble. And running is hard as well. But you got to keep your eye on the reward at the end. Don't look at the trouble you can see. Look at the things that you can't see. The picture I want to give for you this week is I want you to picture yourself just like Kayla ran into the arms of her coach. I want you to picture getting to the end of your life and falling into the arms of your Savior and having him pick you up and say, that was beautiful. Well done. You could not ask for a better finish than that. And that's what we all want. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. A couple things real quick before we pray. We've got our baptism service this afternoon out at Northwestern College, Lake Johanna. We've got services at 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. We've got 700 people signed up already to be baptized. But if you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you have never taken that public step to declare your faith in Christ before your church and before God and before anyone else, I want to encourage you to really spend some time this afternoon thinking about that. We would still love you to come out to Northwestern. You can sign up as you get there, but take that step to be baptized today. And then next weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series called Shatterproof. And the Apostle Paul, he was knocked down, but he got up. 
And so many of us get knocked down in life. We need to get back up again. In fact, next weekend's message is the perfect message for somebody in your life who has never said yes to Christ. If you've got somebody you know who just wonders, would God ever welcome me back? Family member, friend, neighbor who's never said yes to Christ, be a great weekend to invite them to church. Let's pray together. God, I pray for that person here who fell early in the race. And it's hard to get back up because it feels like everybody else is further ahead. God, they got to get back up. They got to start running the race again. They got to get back in the race with their kids. They got to get back in their marriage race. They got to get back in the race with you. They got to get back up. And God, I pray today's message would be your voice speaking to them to do just that. And God, others of us here feel exhausted and tired and scared, and life is just really hard. But Lord, there is a reward at the end of the race. And let us fix our eyes on that reward and the joy of that reward. And so God, I picture us falling into your arms. What a moment that's going to be when we fall into the arms of our Savior and hear the words that you would speak to us. God, that's how I want to finish. That's how everyone here wants to finish. God, I pray that we'd start doing the things today that will get us there. We pray it in your name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.